We are physically built for freediving. We're not mentally built for it. Because we operate on such a fear scale like, oh, someone got robbed down the road and we need to know about it. We need to be informed. That's Adam Sellers and you're listening to episode 18 of the Super Dad Show. Snorkeling is the act of putting on a mask and snorkel and looking below while floating. Snorkelers may not have any training and spend most of the time on the surface. Skin diving takes snorkeling a step further by adding short dives underwater. Skin divers may have training that teaches skills such as efficient dives and snorkel clearing. Free diving, on the other hand, uses advanced breathing techniques and diving skills to increase depth and time underwater. Through training, free divers learn to conserve oxygen while breath holding, while practicing different free diving disciplines such as static apnea, dynamic apnea, free immersion, and constant weight free dives. Now, I don't know too much about what these words mean, but today I am joined by someone who does. We welcome to the Super Dad Show today, Adam Sellers. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now, mate, you live on the beautiful Sunshine Coast, which is where we are today. How long have you lived here and where else have you lived for extended periods of time in your life? So originally I'm a North Queenslander, so oh, yes. up yep. in Townsville mm-hmm. uh, and Charters Towers, which is a little inland, uh, quite a ways from the ocean. Uh, but yeah, so apart from that area, really, it's been the Sunshine Coast for the last 15 years. Very cool. Very cool. And where else have you lived in the world? Oh, look, spent a little bit of time in Sydney. Um, but you know, apart from that, that's really it. Done a lot of travel, obviously, around this country and internationally with with free diving. So, so that is my next question. Yeah, where else have you travelled in the world? Oh, look, I've been all through Europe, uh, South Africa. You know, you, obviously New Zealand, Indonesia a lot um, through Indonesia because there's some good diving mm, there. Mm. The Americas. I uh, did the World Championships last year for freediving in uh, Roatan, which is a part of the Honduras Islands. Wow, beautiful spot. And so the next trip is the Bahamas, um, which is basically the mecca for freediving. So. <clears throat> fantastic, fantastic. And you're also a dad. Can you tell us about your kids? What are their names? What are they like? Yeah, so I've got Taj, uh, who's an ocean child, obviously. Uh, he's eight. And then I've got a daughter, and believe it or not, her name is Ocean. It really so, is Ocean. <laughs> it's, it's How beautiful. Ocean. Um, so, yeah, they're both great little kids. Mm. I see them, you know, uh, four nights a fortnight, and yeah, they're, they're, they're great values. So. Mm. And we are on a Super Dad show, and you are part of my Facebook group, and you did reach out and say that some of the things that you know and are passionate about you feel could really help dads. And so I wanted to bring out very quickly at the start of this before we get into learning more about freediving, your relationship with your ex-partner, what that's like now, um, what you are using to improve your stress management in your life now and what you have to give to dads. Yeah, so the, the, the Pressure Project, which is my company, was born from uh, my inability to deal with pressure. Okay. Uh, pressure that I used to feel on a sporting platform, mm. but then uh, crossed over into business life, personal life, all that sort of stuff. So mm. I hit a pretty bad spate of depression there at one point. 
Uh, and I realized it was my inability to deal with the pressures of life mm. when all of a sudden I had a child and, and a wife. Um, and my brain went into kind of meltdown because it was like my business was failing. Mm. And for some reason in my head, I felt like the world was just coming crashing down, you know? Instead of kind of going, oh, look, I'll just go back into the field that I used to be in. Yep. Mm. My brain just said, like, the world is literally falling in mm. and I won't be able to support my son and wife. Even though, you know, by and large in Australia, no one starves. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. we have family, yep. we have support networks, we have, you know, companies like Smith Family and all these type of things. So we're not a third world country, but my brain just said, no. Mm. Um, you know, and so... You know, I have gone through a divorce in the last 12 to 18 months um, and that was challenging because uh, even though I am most definitely not a violent person, I found myself uh, having one of these fun protection orders put on me, which seems to be a, a bit of a standard play in the legal world uh, mm. at the moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, I won't sugarcoat it. It was tough. Um, and having that on me, I realised just how many dads go through that um and it was tough it was a tough six months in in and out of court not being able to see my kids for six months so that's harsh that was really tough and I, but I, what i realized was it, it, it was it, it's an epidemic almost in terms of through through breakups um a lot of dads unfortunately find themselves in that but the lessons that, you know, the, the reason why I reached out um, was because I kind of thought, well, you know, I'd put all these things that I'd learned to the test and it, and it worked. And so I just thought, you know, in terms of men out there at the moment, they, a lot of people probably don't have strategies or techniques that they can use to get through it. A lot mm -hmm. of dads just use work as a way to try and mask it. Like, oh, look, maybe if I work hard, I'll forget about it and, you know, eventually it'll sort itself out. But, you know, unfortunately, in some cases it doesn't. It, these things can drag on for, mm, um, it mm. can be a lifetime of hurt. Mm, so, mm. Yeah. And look, it was only just last week I actually got the opportunity to interview a family lawyer, Clarissa Rayward. Mm -hmm. I'm actually releasing that episode uh, next week before yours. And uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic one to put out there because we ask the, well, I ask the tough questions about how dads do go through that separation mm -hmm. and divorce and keep that amicable relationship that allows mm -hmm. them to continue to see their kids. And you've been on the other side. In hindsight, is there something that you would suggest the dads do differently to what your breakup and, and mm -hmm. ongoing saga after that? you know, what, what your experience was? Yeah, so so what I ended up doing in the end, I mean, I, I could have still been going through it. Uh, you know, I, I could have been looking down the barrel of two years um, of really not seeing my kids. Mm. Um, and so I ended up making a decision where I one day, uh, so in the end I started getting two hours visitation with my kids a week. So mm. imagine... Imagine rocking up somewhere to see your kids mm. and half an hour of that was travel uh, and then getting your kids and them kind of like, hey, I haven't seen you forever and then you go, okay, we've got two hours and then constantly saying to you, dad, how long now? Dad, how long now? Dad, how long now? Oh, wow. And then having to leave them mm. crying mm. and I mean, I'm not afraid to say it. Like I used to drop them off 
keep a try and keep a brave face for them and drive around the corner, sit in my car and bore my eyes out. Mm. Um, cause you know, especially my son, he was old enough to know what was going on. So he's like, you never come to my soccer. You never come to this. You never come to that. Mm. And I was hamstrung. I couldn't say, mate, it's because of this, this, and this. Well, did you? Did you? Well, I couldn't because right. in terms of legally, if mm. I said, hey, look, what has happened is this, son, uh, I've got a protection order on me, mm. uh, which stops me from being within 50 metres of your school, within 100 metres of your house. And so, you know, if, if daddy rocks up to your soccer, there's every chance that he goes in handcuffs. Um, so it's, it's a real travesty of society, to be completely honest, because mm. it's not evidence-based. Uh, you know, your ex-partner does not need to provide evidence. They can walk into the courthouse, tell, you know, write their story down, sign an affidavit to say, yes, this is what I believe true and correct. And instantly, as a, as a, as a man, you are guilty mm. until you can prove your innocence, which is probably the only area of law where that is the case. Usually, even if you're, yeah. if, if say you get arrested for robbery, mm. you know, whatever crime, it's the presumption of innocence. Literally, I came back from free diving in Bali uh, and went to the school because my ex was not communicating with me. And uh, I went to my son's class and the teacher came out and said, oh my God, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? I volunteer here. I come and read at his class to see him or like, I don't understand, you know, what, what's going on? Mm. He goes, oh, geez, you don't know what's going on, do you? And I went, with what? And he said, mate, you're going to have to go to the uh, office. And I went to the office and they went, mate, you can't be within 50 metres of this school. And I went, since when? I said, I've just got back from Indonesia. Oh, my goodness. So I actually went into the cop shop, presented myself and said, yeah. what's happened? Yeah. And they went, You've got a protection order on you. Um, so, look, really, really tough thing to go through. Um, what so made her so bitter and spiteful to do that? So, for with, with our particular case, um, it was uh, she realised that there was no control. So she had lost control because we didn't. She wouldn't rock up to <coughs> mediation. So what happened was. Um, uh, at one point, I hadn't seen them for a while. Mm, so mm. I just went and grabbed them from school, said, well, she won't talk to me. I haven't seen them. Mm. Um, so I grabbed them from school. Uh, when she realised that, that she, there was nothing she could do about it, because there was no parenting order in place, um, because I'd always just play ball, like when she said no, I went, yeah, and uh, I just had enough. And I mm. went, I need to see my kids. And so I grabbed them because I was about to go to Indonesia and spent a week with them and then dropped them back. No fuss, just went, there you go. Um, what communication was there with her during that time? Oh, look, you know, there was there was more than enough communication. It was, hey, can I get them before I go to Indonesia because I'm going for two weeks? And mm. the answer was no. I said, well, okay, well, that's not good enough. Um, I mm. said, I've got every right to see them. Yep. You won't rock up to mediation, which is yep. free, mm. which would give us a parenting order. Mm. Um, and so I picked them up from school, which I was within my rights to do, had them yep. for a week, which is, I was in, within my rights to do. And whilst I was in Bali, she thought, well, how do I get control back in this situation? She's mm. gone and seen a solicitor. Um, and a solicitor's gone, hey, put a protection order on him. You know, that's the best way to do it because all of a sudden he has zero control. Uh, and so what I was getting to before was the way in which I ended it all 
um, was the last time I saw my kids for that two hour stint. Um, my son just said to me, dad, I need you. And I just went, right, that's it. The next day I rang my lawyer. I said, how do I make this go away? And, um, she said, um, look, maybe we'll file for a paid mediation in the Brisbane courts. Um, I went, right, cool. Um, so we went down to this mediation, uh, and basically what I did was just give her most of everything that I'd ever worked for. Um, so what I did was I swapped money for time with kids and I'd do it again in a heartbeat. So what I would say <laughs> is whilst obviously society conditions us to be so, um, financially driven as a dad, just... <laughs> If you find yourself in the situation that I was in, give away the money, honestly. Um, I'm in the situation I was in. Uh, if you don't have a protection order and you want to fight for, you know, a fairer financial split, go for it. Um, but my experience is, is we don't win much in court. Uh, I would rock up to court and leave there just going. Uh, and I was paying for the other side solicitors as well. Mm. I was paying for a barrister and a lawyer to attack me. <laughs> so my solicitor told me that, hey, give them 20 grand to fight you. And I went, really? She said, yeah, it looks good. And I went, right. So I remember rocking up and having this moment where I was sitting in a courtroom and I just had a lawyer. I, I just had a lawyer, right? Yeah. And uh, the other party rocked in with a barrister and a lawyer and he's in his big cape <laughs> and I'm like sitting there and I'm just watching it all unfold and I didn't even get heard at all. So they heard, we heard from the other side. I had 14 affidavits for me. The other party had two. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just remember sitting there having this moment where I went, I'm paying for this person here to defend me, but I'm also paying for those two to attack me. And I walked out every time going, I'm just not winning anywhere. I can't see my kids. I'm paying lots and lots of money. And it's the old thing, obviously, the, the courts and the lawyers, etc. they win. And eventually it gets sorted out. So what, what I would say is if, you know, if there are dads out there that are in the situation that I was in, think seriously about how much you um, value money because you can always get more money. You can never get more time back with your kids. So that's... Uh, but yeah, so I suppose moving on from there is, you know, to help how, how we can help dads deal with those pressures, those stresses. And, and pressure just equals stress. That's all it is. Now, I'm going to challenge you because you said that the reason why you want to share this is because you had strategies in place that really assisted you through this time. Mm -hmm. Now, um, my interview with Clarissa, the family lawyer, she was talking about how... Um, what was she saying? Sound. Remember it in a sec. Um, how a breakup, a divorce, and the grieving process. Mm. Although it's almost like you've you've lost someone, it's that same grieving mm -hmm. process. Um, you know, it does differ because when someone dies, everyone is around you and supporting mm -hmm. you. But through a divorce, a lot of people go their separate ways. Mm and there's not that same amount of communication and support there. Was that your experience and how yeah, did you deal I, with it? You know, I, I had, uh, you know, I had good friends. I had, uh, I've got a good family. 
Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I would go back to an empty house. And they were the hardest times when you had time to reflect um, what well, was the hardest time. Um, mm. But what I found was don't, don't use spare time to just get busy. That's a crock. Like this whole thing of like, oh, just keep yourself busy and keep yourself entertained and distract yourself away from what's going on. That's all crap. That just delays the processing time. Mm, um, mm. So if you push it to the side, push it to the side, push it to the side, you'll just eventually crack and you'll crack big time. So what I'd say for guys is talk about it. Talk about it to anyone that you feel will listen to you. Because people come up with gems, um, but it also helps you process stuff. Mm, mm. Um, For how long should they do that, though? I mean, obviously, um, hey, another guy, Chris Helder, um, he's talking about useful belief. Mm. Is it useful to continue to continue rehashing the same story over and over again? When did you stop doing that and start moving forward? Well, I found that I stopped doing that when I felt like I didn't, need to speak about it anymore mm-hmm. just had this time where I went I don't want to speak about it anymore mm-hmm. because I, I, I'm healed mm-hmm. um, whether you ever fully heal mm-hmm. um, is probably another conversation mm-hmm. but I felt like you know then people would start asking me and I would just go hey you know what that's that's kind of in my past now mm-hmm. I'm only looking at what's presently happening in my life yeah. and I have so much good stuff to be mm-hmm. thankful for mm-hmm. Um, which is great, but that's not also the cure either. Like some people go like, oh, just think about the things that you have in your life right now that you can be thankful <laughs> for. Like, you know, some people, so what you'll find as a dad or as a human full stop mm. um, is that people will try and sell you like a magic pill. Like, hey, take this, it'll all be sweet. Look at the country we live in. And hey, you've got family. <laughs> and oh, look, you, you know, you surf and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you just look at it and you go, you just have zero idea what I'm going through, do you? And, and this is my biggest thing. You know, I've dealt with depression and anxiety is, is if people haven't been there, they're not, they shouldn't speak about it, really. They should just be someone who acknowledges your pain, accepts you and is there for you. Um, because if you haven't gone through it, and same with this type of thing, if you haven't gone through a divorce, you're basically you're not qualified to talk about it because you haven't been there, you haven't walked the line. So what you should do for other dads, mates, whatever, um, family, is just be there. Just go, mate, it must be tough. Hey, you know, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. Uh, always there for a chat. If you want to go for a surf, if you want to climb a mountain, whatever, let's just do it. Like, But when you start getting into that, like, oh, this is probably what you should do, it, you know, for the for the person or who's going through it, it just it just feels it just doesn't make you feel any better. Mm, mm. Um, it's all you need is people there, you know, a, a bit of strength for you. You don't need that. You don't need that magic pill. Mm. You know, I had my techniques and my ways of dealing with it, um, which I suppose we'll talk about soon. Um, but you know, in terms of if you are there to support someone else, just you know, it's kind of like I played rugby league for many years, right? Um, and you didn't tell your mate beside you how to tackle someone. You're just there beside them. 
You know what I mean? Mm. You're just like, mate, I got your back. That's that's basically the crux of it. It's the same in this type of position. You, you, you don't necessarily need to give them um, advice. Um, it's just more like, hey, I'm beside you. Um, and if you need me, I'm more than happy to tackle that bloke. <laughs> but, you know, I, I haven't walked in your shoes, so I can't give you advice. Um, yeah, that's, I suppose, the best way I can explain it. And look, for someone like me who um, has a heart for every single member of the Super Dads but has mm. not been through it myself, mm. I can tell you that what you've said has really resonated or, or is something that I really need to take on board because I know I'm this very optimistic person that must drive people bonkers when I go in and try and fix them like every man tries to fix their, their wife yeah. or whatever yeah, that comes yeah, to them yeah, with yeah. a problem. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get the right people around me to support mm. these dads and mm. I thank you so much for sitting down with us today because you yeah. are the right person to be that, that one that can go, fuck, I've, I've been through that, I, yeah. I understand. Yeah. You know, so I really appreciate you sharing this open, honest story with us about your struggles. So let's mm. talk about the future and let's talk about dads going through similar things to what you went through and what strategies you feel they can use. Yeah. So hey, um, <clears throat> a big part of now how I live my life was uh, I found this freediving right. Mm. So um, pressure or stress, if you like is only real if you make it real, right? So if a bit of stress comes in, like let's just take divorce for example, right? Divorce comes at you like a freight train, but um, it's what you attach to that which makes it real, okay? And anything, like if someone has a go at you in the traffic, right? Mm -hmm. And I love this. If someone has a go at you in the traffic, um, it's an incoming bit of stimuli, right? Mm. It's just a bit of information coming towards you. Now you can let that, you can attach stress to that and let it affect your internal environment, or you can just like one of the things that I, I, I came up with when I started saying to friends that would be like, "Oh man, you must be dying," you must be, and I'm like, "Hey, look, it, it's at certain points, yeah, it's tough, it does get me down, but." I actually bought this shirt and it was a Captain America shirt and it had a, a shield and it became symbolic for me mm. because I was like, this is my shield and like Captain America's shield, it was always impenetrable, right? He could shoot a bloody rocket into that thing and it had to go. So I started using that mm. as like, hey, look, things come in and I just bonk and it goes off. I can give it some space and still process it, but the space is bang, it hits there. Yep. It goes off mm. and then I can think about it. Mm. So mm. in the meditation world, they talk about giving things space, mm. right? And so, you know, what I found more so with free diving was as you descend deep into the ocean, you're affected by real pressure, right? Real stress. So the ocean is quite literally compressing you <laughs> and um, it compresses your lungs, they're the biggest things that get compressed. And they go, you know, I mean, I've, I've dove to about 72 metres on one breath now. Oh, my gosh. And my lungs become about the size of my fist. Mm. So that's real pressure. That's And what happens is your our brains are extremely good at trying to keep us alive. So in the beginning, 
when I used to st- when I started my freediving journey, I used to kind of like, <gasps> do I have enough to go back up? So I'd get to these points in my dive where I'd go, I'm not feeling great. Do I have enough to get back up? And sometimes I'd like turn and look up, and then I'd go, oh no, I feel okay. I'll go another five. Turn and look up. Oh shit. So it was this brain that was trying to keep me alive. Right? Yeah. And so the reason that, you know, I've now competed for Australia, et cetera, is I found a way to deal with those messages, those, those fight and flight messages, the back of the brain that kind of consistently shoots off. I found a way to deal with it. Mm. And the problem is, is that um, whilst our brains will shoot off these messages for very real threats, right? Like, Let's say I go out diving and bang, there's a great white. Like, that's a real threat, right? Or you're in the plains of friggin' Africa and a tiger comes out. Like, that's a real threat. The problem with our modern day brains is that we're like shiny iPhone 8s, but we've never had, <laughs> we've never had the update, right? So the brain within still operates the same way as it did as cavemen. It's still like, hey, we need to find food and we need to stay alive. And so what our brains pick up as threats today um, is not being able to pay the rent next week, uh, job's not looking great, the mine might shut down, mm. oh, the wife's giving me hell, the kids don't listen. And we, we get so stressed out for these little things, like the boss is riding me, I feel all this pressure from the boss, which is all crap. <laughs> like, it feels real, but it's because we attach meaning to it. And, and our brains don't know the difference between real threat and perceived threat. So what our brain does is it literally goes into fight and flight mode mm. over the boss getting angry at us. And like when I do my public speaking sessions, I, like, I pick someone out of the crowd and I say, hey, you're going to do a one-minute session up here about the difference between liberals and labor and why you follow one. And they literally have the same reaction as if a tiger did run out of one of the doors and want to bite their face off. Mm, mm. So the problem with this perceived threat, though, is it's so consistent, right? So let's take, for example, you are going through divorce. Like, you got to keep working. And let's be frank, most of the time it's the dad. you got to keep working. So you've got those pressures. Sometimes you don't get to see the kids. So you've got that pressure. Um, and... Sometimes you are just in constant battle with the ex. So you've got that pressure. And then it might be like, hey, because you've got to pay for the other rental and this rental that you've got now, all of a sudden you've got financial stress. So it's like this avalanche of stress and your brain just goes into meltdown because it's just in a constant state of danger, right? So the brain just recognizes all of that as danger. It releases a drug called... Um, uh, cortisol in the brain, which is a stress drug yep. or stress chemical. Yep. And it quite literally shrinks your brain. But not only that, what happens is when if you stay in that stress state for so long, it's no wonder that people just don't aren't able to cope, right? So depression, anxiety, um, uh, chronic fatigue. Um, people want to commit suicide. You know, like mm-hmm. at the moment, the, the biggest killer of young people is suicide. Like the, the, the suicide rates for men have never been higher in the history of Australia. Um, and it's because we've got, we, we don't give our brains a rest either. So 
What I found from free diving was this. A way to stay present, even when you're under intense physical pressure, right? Not to mention the mental pressure that your brain says, hey, have we got enough to get back up here? Um, and then what I found was, so the best freedivers had, you know, knew something about meditation, knew some type of meditation. So I did a meditation teacher training course. So, um, and what I found from meditation is that, um, and I changed the meditation model a little bit. So I changed it from a, not just a straight meditation, but a meditation with visualization for what I wanted in my life. And I've used this strategy with Olympians, um, swimming Olympians. I've used it with, you know, uh, cricketers from the Australian cricket team. Um, and they just love it because they want to get the upper hand and they want to get the edge. But they also want strategies for when they're walking out onto the MCG with 100,000 people watching them on a Boxing Day test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're the opening batsman and the first ball could knock them over and they feel like that would be the end of the earth. Yep. They've got so much pressure to hit a red ball into a green space that quite often they can't deal with it. So meditation um, is not sitting in a cave with butterflies flying around your head anymore. You know, that's the stigma. Um, it's open awareness. And what I do is I focus on breath first. I then go to sounds. I'll do this in the middle of a pathway. Um, you know, like this morning I did mine on the end of Point Cartwright with people running around with their dogs and doing exercise and all the rest of it. And I actually use the sounds. I actually quite like sounds. So I just sit there. I don't judge the sounds. I just go, dog, can you hear the surf? I bring them in. I attach to my breath. Um, I do body scan, all those kind of like things that the meditation world is famous for that do help you relax. But then I go into um, the two most important parts for me is that I have a few minutes where I just let thoughts come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have really shitty thoughts, mm -hmm. right? Like I think about the ex or I think about how long I didn't see the kids for or I think about financial stuff. Um, but I don't judge it. I just let it be almost like I'm watching a movie of my own life. Mm. And then I just go, all right, Adam, we're now finished. It's like a bug hits the windscreen in your car. You don't sit there and dwell on it. You go, and you get the water on there and the windscreen wipers it. Same thing with my meditation. Then what I do is um, I spend a few minutes quite simply just picturing the things that I want to happen in my life. Now, I've been doing this for the last 18 months, right in the middle of all the hell. Um, you know, so, and, and I'm more than happy to tell you what I was picturing for the, that period of time. I pictured myself standing up in front of a crowd with pressure project symbol in the background, helping hundreds of people at one time. And that hadn't happened at that point, obviously, that's what I wanted. I pictured myself um, with my kids smiling and with a new partner that was just awesome. Uh, and everyone smiling and me smiling. Um, I pictured having a great year in freediving. And well, I didn't really put together what a great year was, um, but I pictured that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of my meditation, there'd be a ding, and it'd go ding, and then there'd be 10 seconds, and then a ding again. In that 10 second period, all I simply pictured was my own face smiling. That's it. And so over the next six months, 
So over the next six months, I got selected to represent Australia in freediving. Like, I wanted a good year. I wanted <laughs> a freaking great year. Knocked it out of the park, yeah. And I was like, wow, that kind of come true. <laughs> um, and I then picture, and then all of a sudden, I found an awesome girl. Uh, who I'm still with now, and she's happy, I'm happy, the kids are happy, it's, it's just awesome. Um, and uh, the beginning of this month, I did a presentation in Karatha for a company called Epic, Empowering People in Communities. Fantastic cause over there. And I had this moment right in the middle of my hour and a half keynote session where I just paused and I looked back at my logo on the back wall and I just went, I made it to exactly what I pictured. High five on that. Yeah. Wow. But it was this, this moment and like, you know, there would have been, I don't know, close to 200 people in this room. Mm. And they all just kind of looked at me like, is he okay? But my brain just went, hey, that thing that you pictured for the last 18 months, it's arrived. And you've got the girl, and you had an amazing mm. period of freediving. Mm. Your kids are happy. You're happy. Wow! And the, the first thought I had was, I got to think of some new things to pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what are those things for you now? Oh, look, you know, there's. Uh, I just, <laughs> I just uh, had my kids on the weekend, and um, I made up some cork boards with photos, uh, and I called it reality boards. So what, what, it's, what it's mainly, what most people will know it is, is, is dream boards. Mm -hmm. So you print out photos of things that you want and you call it a dream board and you, you know, whether it's a bloody Ferrari or a boat or a mansion or whatever, you know, these things that people think are important um, and you put it up there, but they call it a bloody dream board. Now, what's a dream? A dream is a false memory, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, with my kids, I, you know, an example of my, one of the things on my kids' board was my son idolizes Steve Irwin and just is infatuated with animals. He'll pick up stuff that I won't go near. And my uh, youngest is like that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's only people that instill fear in kids. Fear mm -hmm. is learnt. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, so, um, I said to him, mate, part of your, your dream board needs to be, you know, you as Steve Irwin. He goes, yeah, what, what should we do? I said, well, why don't we print out a photo of Steve Irwin? We'll, we'll get a, uh, we'll cut out a picture of your head. And we'll put it <laughs> on Steve Irwin. So, like, like, literally, I mean, I can show you this photo on my phone right now. That's great. Uh, part of his dream, it's, sorry, his reality, reality board, board yeah. um, is his face stuck on Steve Irwin holding a crocodile. Um, and, and this is this is the part of this the meditation that I mm. really enjoy because mm. the other thing that our brain can't separate is the difference between a real uh, memory mm. and a and a and a dream memory, which is why dreams seem so real whilst we're in them, because the subconscious is just throwing out these like, hey, you're getting with Jessica Elba, you know, and it's not until you wake up and your conscious mind kicks in. But then you go, oh, damn it, I'm not getting with this. <laughs> so, Better put that on my real board. <laughs> yeah, real board. So, so, you know, what, what, I, what I believe, and I, like I'm no scientist, um, but what I believe is you can program your subconscious um, 
and another thing called the RAS in your brain, which stands for like reticulated activating system. Mm-hmm. Um, you can program it to find the pieces to get you there. So just like a dream, but this is like a consistent thing. You're just putting seeds in of mm-hmm. like, and I was doing it like, I won't say every day because I used free diving as meditation as well. So when I free dive on that day, I didn't do meditation. Um, but, you know, consistently, probably about four times a week, I was doing meditation and a period of that was planting things in my subconscious that I wanted. And this Raz that I talk about is responsible for filtering out stuff that's not important. Because our brains could not possibly process the amount of information that comes towards us in a day. Couldn't do it. So I got a question. How um how often do you write these things down? Is that how you learn to pinpoint your future? Yeah, look, to 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 be completely honest, I don't I don't write them down. Like I used to do goals and I used to write them down, mm-hmm. right? And what I found was that like you'd stow them away in a folder and then you you kind of like maybe come back to them. But then I would forget what I'd written down. So then like maybe like six months later, I'd be like, oh, maybe I should look at those goals. And some of them I'd achieved. Mm. But then others, I'm like, I've taken no steps to get mm. to that. Mm. So my writing down of the goals is, is visualizing them in my head as a part of my meditation practice. And what I find then is I'm actually signaling to my brain mm. that this is really important. Yeah. And so my brain starts to look for the pieces of the puzzle in my everyday life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's, you know, you, you could say it was coincidence that we linked up or you could say that it was my incessant thinking about the pressure project that my brain searches for things like super dads because, you know, the, the way I can explain it is this way. When you decide you want to buy a new car, you go and search for it and you might have three models that you're thinking of and you narrow it down to one, right? I literally just bought, and I probably shouldn't own up to this, but I bought a Mitsubishi Triton. Um, <laughs> yeah. All the Toyota people and bloody Ford people, I ain't got a Triton. Anyway, I love the car. Yeah. But when I made the decision to buy it, I signaled to my brain, my RAS, reticulated activating system or something like that, it is. that that car was important. So my brain started searching for it. Now, people who are listening to this, and you'll know this, as soon as you make a decision to buy that car, you see it everywhere. It's like everyone in Australia has bought a Mitsubishi Triton, right? You see it in car parks, you see it driving past, you open magazines or newspapers, and bang, there it is, $39,990, hopefully not more expensive than what you paid for it. Um, but that is quite literally your RAS subconscious brain whatever you want to call these areas, searching for it. Even before you've picked it up, you're just like, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. People love these tritons. What I'm getting at is, you know, what I did very well through my, this really turbulent time was that I pictured what my life would look like. So I had probably 15 minutes of being just completely present, focusing on the breath, focusing Mm. on sounds, focusing on relaxing my muscles, all the rest of it. Mm. And then that last five minutes for me was let thoughts come, 
and visualize your outcomes. Um, and both are very powerful in their own right. Um, what I found with thoughts was when I started to train my brain to be able to watch thoughts and not react to them, um, in my everyday life, I was mm. starting to do the same thing. So people would come at me with aggression and I'd just watch it. And, you know, I had this one time with an old boss where he came at me with anger and you should be doing this and you should have done this. I gave you this deadline. And he just went off his banana and he said, what do you have to say for yourself? And I just sat there and looked at him and I went, wow, I'm giving this space. I, guess I just gave it space. And he sat there and it would have been 20 seconds went by and he went, you going to say something? And I went, nah. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't really have anything to say right now. And he goes, so what? And I went, I'm going to go away for like five minutes. I'm going to think about what you said. I'm going to get really composed. And then I'm going to come back. And he went, I want to talk about it now. And I said, well, I, I understand you want to talk about it now. You came at me like a front rower. I was like, well, I can see that. But I'm going to go away for five minutes. And I'm going to really digest what you said. And then I'll be in the space to talk about it. And he went, right. And this was in corporate world, right? So he's like, <laughs> so he's like looked at his watch. He's like, so quarter past, you'll be back in my office. And I was like, yep. Yeah. And so I purposely left at 10 minutes <laughs> and I went back in there. And can you guess what he said when I walked back in? I've been thinking. He goes, look, um, before you say anything, uh, I, shouldn't have, I, I shouldn't have gone off with you like that. <laughs> so by, oh, me giving, by me giving him space, mm. he actually calmed down mm. and backed off. Mm. And then we had this conversation that ended with like, oh, look, you know, Adam, I probably didn't give you enough time in hindsight. And I'm sorry I reacted like that. I know you're actually going through a bit of a divorce. And I said, hey, look, yeah, I, I, I could have got that done, but I didn't. Uh, so sorry about that, mate. But um, yeah, I am going through a bit of a tough time. But look, give me two days and I'll get this little project done. And he's like, yeah, cool, mate. Whereas the old Adam would have seen it as a threat. Mm. And instead of responding to that or giving it space, I would have reacted. And it's like a tennis match. He would have served, I would have smashed it back. He would have mm. smashed it back at me and it would have ended up with just heat. Um, so, you know, what, I, what I'm getting at is that, you know, for dads, full stop. Like, I mean, I struggle now because I've got a startup business, um, I've got a partner that lives in Melbourne. Um, uh, so my weekends uh, and, and then my freediving courses that I run have <laughs> done on weekends. So I've got to basically fit work, my kids and my new partner all into weekends. And there's not enough weekends in the month at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, still, I've still got a lot of stuff coming at me. I'm mm. still struggling with the balance. Um, but the difference is, is that I don't view it as stress anymore. I just view it as it's just stuff. It's just, it's just life. 
And every time I feel myself getting stressed, I take myself away. I just give myself like a five-minute breathing timeout. Now, you can download 54 apps that will run you through. <laughs> yeah, breathing. I've got 53 of them. You've got 53 yeah, of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I made the, the 54th one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, look, you know, um, there's, a, there's, a very, there's a very old adage that says, um, what was it? If you're angry, count to 10. Because counting brings you to the front of your brain, right? Um, which is your prefrontal cortex, mm. which is logical thought and all the mm. rest of it. Mm. Um, if you're really angry, count to 100. And really, that's giving us enough space. Mm. Mm. Um, the only person that suffers by getting stressed out, angry, annoyed, all the rest of it is you. You know, there's another little thing I'll throw out there. Someone told me once, and I've used it forever now. <laughs> is uh, harboring anger against someone. It's like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Yeah. It only affects you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you've come a long way and what you're uh, promoting is space within us yeah. and, and seeking our breath, yeah? yeah? Yeah, Obviously, there's a lot of breath work involved in free diving and you need to be incredibly practised at how to control your breath. Let's talk about free diving a little bit now yeah. and um, specifically some of the things that people don't know about it. Yeah, well, so I suppose the, the first thing that people don't know about it is that we're actually all built for it. We're, okay. we're mammals, right? And we share the same physical responses hmm. uh, when we dive as are in whales, seals, Dolphins. Is that right? All sea mammals have this thing called mammalian dive reflex. Hmm. And we have it as well. Um, mate, we're born in water. Um, and now you have water births. You know, babies come out and they'll sit there in the water for as long as you leave them there and hmm. they won't breathe. Hmm. Um, it's only that we start to, when we come out, we now believe that we're, we're um, land dwellers or we belong on terra firma that we lose quite often the affinity for water. But then even those people, like they go to the beach and they jump in the water and they'll say things like, oh, I don't know what it is, but I just feel so much calmer. Um, This is the innate thing in us. So they believe that we're almost completely wiped out uh, as humans. Uh, When we came down from the trees, um, we couldn't compete for food. We're almost wiped out by predators. So they believe now that we went back to the ocean. In terms of we set up camp there, we started hunting back in the ocean. And there's still ancient civilizations that have never left. Yep. The, the popular one at the moment that's all over Facebook is and uh, Netflix is the Baju people. Mm. And there's a Netflix one called Jago. Mm. Um, mm. Now, um, so, I mean, freediving traces its roots to like 4500 BC. Um, so it's a very, very old um, endeavor, let's yeah. say, because it was for food. Um, spear fishermen know this. Right, they're still they're still doing it. Mm. Um, so the first thing you need to know is that when we dive, um, the first thing that happens generally is we get what's called bradycardia. So our heart rate slows down. So this is a big furphy with like free divers on TV shows that like jump into a body of water and go, yeah, watch this. <laughs> Just through thought, I will decrease my heart rate. Bullshit. <laughs> right. If, you, if I had a bucket of water here and I dumped your face in it, um, your heart rate would plummet. Um, 
Second thing that happens, especially when we start to feel a little bit of pressure as we dive, is the blood runs away from our arms and legs and comes into the core for, to protect our major organs, mainly our, our lungs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that as they compress, um, you don't hemorrhage, basically. And then you get something um, called the spleen effect. So the spleen is a blood bank. As you start to hold your breath, you're in water, you feel the pressure of the ocean compressing you, your spleen will contract and flush your body with fresh red blood cells, mm -hmm. which red blood cells carry oxygen. So all of a sudden you get like this hit of oxygen, mm -hmm. and which is why a lot of people in my courses go, God, I felt like dog shit at 10 metres. But for some reason at 20, I felt quite good. <laughs> it's the body going, hey, we're diving and we're diving deep. Let's flood the body with some more oxygen. Um, which is also the reason why quite often you need to pee when you're in water, right? Because your body goes, hey, excess fluid mm. in blood, mm -hmm. let's get rid of a waste product being urine. So your body goes, oh, let's get rid of urine now, right? So we are physically built for freediving. We're not mentally built for it because we operate on such a fear scale like this whole world is fearful. Like our affinity for news is because we want to, we love fear. It's like, oh, someone got robbed down the road and we need to know about it. We need to be informed. Like, do we, do we need to be scared? Do we need to know that Kim Jong-un still has his, like his nuclear weapon program? Like, even if we know about it, can we control his finger on the red button? If he sends it to Australia, can we go, oh, hang on. Well, me, I'll be right. I'll have my <laughs> Captain America shirt. But, you know, what's the point of knowing? Right? So we, yeah. we operate on such mm. a fear thing. So the biggest thing with people that ring me for freediving courses, they're like, oh, I couldn't hold my breath for more than 30 seconds. And I go, well, you could. And they go, no, no, I couldn't. I'm like, well, you could. No, no, no. Okay, okay. Well, let's just say you couldn't, but the average people hold their breath in my courses is two and a half minutes. Now, wow. this is people who smoke, yep. this is people who drink, mm -hmm. uh, like alcohol is going out of production. <laughs> um, because it's, it's, free diving is mainly mental. Um, so most of the strategies that we run through um, are mental strategies to deal with a brain that wants to keep us alive even when we're not in danger. Um, so freediving, let me tell you, is safer than scuba diving. And scuba diving, you have air. Mm -hmm. um, but more things can go wrong in scuba diving. Mm. So, you know, it's this fear, this fear response. And it's like anxiety is the same thing. Anxiety should just be rebranded fear. That's what it is. Future thinking. Oh, shit, what's going to happen in a week? Can I afford my rent next week? You know, is the mine still going to be open next week? Or, you know, all these things. It's just future thinking. It's just fear. Oh, I fear that I'll lose my job next week. I fear that my wife will leave me next week. I fear that, you know, my health will be bad. Or mm -hmm. I fear this, that, and the other. And it cripples us. So if not fear, what's going through your head before you try and dive as deep as you've ever gone. Oh, you'll love this. You'll absolutely love this. So 
<laughs> Good question, eh? So, so I, got, I got selected to represent Australia um, based on some pool competitions that I did here in Australia because we okay. really don't have depth. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're a bit behind the eight ball in mm-hmm. Australia. Um, it's kind of like, hey, we're going to compete against the um, Tibetans on climbing mountains, <laughs> basically, is, is how I can kind of uh, put it for you. Um, but I've never done a depth competition. But I pictured it over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. in my head. Mm-hmm. And I pictured myself being calm. Mm. Um, and I had this thing where I was like, when I got to Rotan, <clears throat> I went, hey, my dives don't start until I get to the competition rope and I clip myself on. So the safety part of it is you actually clip yourself to the dive line. Mm-hmm. So that if something goes wrong, they can drop the counterbalance and you just come flying up the other end. Um, and so, so I had this little technique where, I mean, my brain is like, you know, throwing up these things like, oh, have we done enough training? Oh, Adam, we don't have the depth in Australia, you know? And basically I was doing PBs every day. I'd go out on this platform and they'd say, hey, ads, what are you going to today, bro? And I'm like, well, I went to 62 yesterday and that was a PB. So... Let's just drop it to 64 and see how that goes, right? So there were depths I've never gone to. And so I formed this strategy where um, I basically nicknamed that self-defeating voice in my head, Nana. (laughs) Why? Um, And I love my Nanas. I've got like four of them, right? I love them all. But they are so risk adverse, right? Mm. You think about your nana. You think everyone who's listening here, think about your nana when you were young, right? When they were looking after you. <laughs> you climb a tree and they yell out, "Don't climb that tree! You'll fall and break your neck." <laughs> and then you go, "Okay, well I won't climb a tree. I'll run around on the concrete." Don't run on the concrete. You'll fall and crack your head open, right? So I nicknamed this voice in my head, nana. Because it was like, oh, you know, what if you get down there and you freak out? Or what if your lanyard gets caught on the bottom plate? Or what if this and what if that? So what I would do is I'd clip to the line, I would lay back in the water, about to do my dive, and I'd focus on my breath. And quite often I would be successful in not having thoughts, negative thoughts. But every now and then, like... They give you a countdown. So like at a minute, they go, one minute. And that was one minute until you had to, you know, basically start your dive. Mm. And in that minute, sometimes I would get this like, oh, shit. Oh, did I stretch too much this morning? Oh, I'm not feeling that great. And so I'd start talking to Nana. So that voice in my head became Nana. I'd say, hey, Nana, it's all good. (laughs) I've got this, right? So I would say, no, no, it's okay, I've got this. And it would calm me down. And then I'd go back to my breath. And if for some reason that didn't work, I love the poo emoji, right? I use it all the time. <laughs> people like, if someone had a go at me or whatever, I just send them a poo emoji. And uh, so if the nana thing didn't work, I would quite literally be laying there in the middle of the ocean nothing but blue for 200 metres below me and I would picture the pool emoji with the smiling face <laughs> and it would make me smile because I'd be like, oh, God, I love the pool emoji. 
And, you know, the judges and the safety team would go, man, well, in that last minute, sometimes you're just like, you're like smiling, like you're almost giggling. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm not doing two, one of two things. I'm either talking to Nana or I'm watching the poo emoji. And they're like, man, you are all kinds of crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I'm relaxed. <coughs> so what I basically did was just gave it a funny name. Instead of... Instead of leaving it to its own devices, I just mm-hmm. rebranded it. Because mm-hmm. I was basically like in marketing. I just rebranded the thing. And uh, it worked for me. So, you know, the only thing that stopped me from going deeper was equalization. Um, so at 72, I could no longer pop my ears. And that's, uh, you know, could be a number of different things. But what a lot of people say is it's adaptation. So let me get this right. I'm picturing you're on the top. Yeah. You clip to something, mm-hmm. there's a line, mm-hmm. you don't use the line for anything, you don't pull yourself. Um, so you literally have one hand out in front of you, you have the other hand up around your up around your nose a lot of the time you because you keep clip. popping. Okay. No, I use a nose clip. Right, so, right. so you don't have to reach for your nose. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't wear goggles, so I can't see anything. Okay. Do uh, a lot of people wear goggles? No, very few actually. Okay, why is to, that? Well, you've got to equalize the mask. So Sure. Um, if you've got to equalize, because the mask is an airspace as well, right? Yeah. So as you go yeah. deeper, it'll start to squeeze on your face and you've got to go mm. and blow air in yeah, it to equalize yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. And that's precious air. Mm. You need as much air as you, mm. as you can. Mm. So most people wear nose clips. Yeah. Um, and no, well, you can't use goggles anyway because you can't equalize them. So mm. it'll pop your eyeballs mm. out. So um, how much eyesight are you actually using for the dive? Are you pretty much doing it with your eyes closed? So for the majority of it, I do it with my eyes closed. Mm. Yeah. Um, and in fact, my next competition in the Bahamas, uh, from anywhere from, say, 20 metres to 50 metres onwards, it goes black. Wow. So you can't see anything anyway. Mm. And at the end of the day, you don't need to. Mm. You know, mm. it's, uh, it's a line. You're connected to it. Mm. You kick for about, say, 20, 25 metres. Mm. Then you become negatively buoyant. So it's a really cool feeling. It's like you're flying, just you're going the other way. Wow. So you're just sinking. Mm. So no kicking at this stage? No, don't need to kick. You just drop. This is the meditative. This is the state where you just conserve your oxygen. You just focus on good thoughts, focus on your equalization. Um, And then all of a sudden what happens is when you focus on the present moment, um, all of a sudden that bottom plate just arrives. You're like, oh, shit, I'm here. Wow. You grab a tag so that you can prove to the judges that you actually went there, uh, then now the fun begins because now you're incredibly negatively mm, buoyant. Mm. So now you're like a rock and you've got to kick yourself up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you kick yourself up to the surface. You become positively buoyant somewhere between five metres of the surface usually. So only really the last five metres can you stop kicking. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to hold yourself up. Your airway's above the water. You recover, so... <gasps> You've got to take your nose clip off, signal to the judges, and then say, I'm okay. If you don't do that, if you come up and leave your nose clip on and say, I'm okay, you get a red card. If your lips touch the water, you get a red card. So it's a harsh sport. Wow. The reason they did that was to make sure that people were competing within their limits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the sport isn't safe as it's ever been. We no longer ride sleds down and 
freaking inflated balloon at the bottom. That was getting ridiculous. People mm. going to 250 meters or whatever. Um, our safety divers are free divers because scuba divers can't do a thing for you. Um, they're too slow. Plus, they've got to um, they've got to decompress at three meters, I think it is. Um, and it's not real helpful if you've got to stop at three three meters for five minutes when you're not nowhere. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's you know free diving is very broad. You got spear fishing. You've got pool free diving. Um, you've got depth, obviously, and then you've. I mean, snorkeling is is free diving. Um, so you know, it's uh, it's a fantastic sport. It, it's a real insight into yourself. Um, and as I said, I, I I quite often use it for my meditation as well. Mm. So is there a limit to how deep you physically and mentally can go? We don't know what the limits are depth-wise. Is that right? At one point, doctors said that if you went past 50... They said if the human body went past 50 metres, you would be crushed and die. (laughs) Um, Then a freediver... I can never remember his name. Uh, He was from somewhere in Europe. He went to 50 metres on the line. He then dropped down to 51 and he survived. Oh my God, no way. All right, he came up, and the next day, he went to 51, held onto the rope, let go of the rope, sunk to 52. Still alive, and so on. Mm. And then all of a sudden they started, you know, 60, 70. Um, so to- are you saying that with a sled, with assistance, they've gone to 250 meters down into the ocean I think now. it is, like, one of the guys, I don't know exactly, but it's, yeah. it's something, 200-something they got to. Phenomenal. Um, and would you would you like to chance something like that with a sled for the sake of saying that's how deep you've gone or are you more interested in this nah. completely unassisted free, dri- free diving now? Like for me, riding a sled down and for people who do what's called no limits, right. um, they'll probably hate me for this comment, but I don't feel that's real free diving. Mm. Um, you are going feet first generally, which makes equalization easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are basically doing a, a static to mm-hmm. depth, mm-hmm. which static means being still, uh, holding your breath for as long as you can still. Um, and then they're inflating basically a balloon mm-hmm. and the balloon takes them up. So mm-hmm. you're not swimming, you're not diving, you're holding on to something on the way down and holding on to something on the way up. Yeah, fair Like, enough. don't get yeah. me wrong, there's skill in it. Yeah. There's definitely skill in it. Mm. But, yeah, the freediving for me is what it's <clears> evolved <throat> to now, um, which is you've got to get yourself there and you've got to get yourself back. And that's yeah. why it's, it's, it's a bit safer too. So we've spoken to the dads who have gone through some incredibly challenging times and are experiencing a lot of fear about the future mm-hmm. and you've spoken about your strategies with meditation and free diving mm-hmm. to assist dads if someone's at two and a half minutes now of holding their breath that you said is realistic to someone who's even a smoker and a drinker to get to mm-hmm. for them to go from two and a half to five minutes how long does something like that generally take and if someone's interested in exploring free diving as a sport or as a as an interest how do they go about it oh look the, prog- the progression can be very quick 
uh, with free diving. Like for myself, I progressed really quickly mm-hmm. um, because it, it just intrigued me. And so I did courses and researched and found people locally that did free diving. And all of my courses were done in Bali simply because here in Australia, you know, and still now, not a lot of people are free diving instructors. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the depth. Um, that most places have overseas. We've got enough depth. Um, but what I found when I started doing freediving courses is people started, I've, I've had people fly from Hobart, from North Queensland, from Perth, mm. because they just wanted to do it. And yeah. they just, uh, there's only a few of us in Australia that yeah. actually do yeah. this full time. So, um, I mean, obviously you can get onto my social media, um, you know, with Instagram, it's at Pressure Project um, or Facebook, The Pressure Project or my website. Um, but, you know, for, it's... And uh, tell us about what's in the course. What can people find when they um, when they go to The pro- Pressure Project? Well, um, you know, for, for the, in terms of Pressure Project overall, it's, it's coaching, it's mentoring, it's freediving courses, which form part of that coaching and mentoring because what I... <laughs> What I found from freediving was a way of dealing with stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a way from, of dealing with stress. Now, the number one hierarchy of needs for a human being is oxygen. So you take that away from someone, <laughs> mm. you, you get an insight into how they deal with fear. Yeah. Now, I've had some people rock up to my course that have done over four minutes, never done freediving before. They Whether they got something out of the breathing techniques I showed them, the meditation side, the, you know, dealing with the responses, or whether they brought that with them is kind of remains to be seen, you know. I can't really get inside their brain and go, oh, yeah, that was all me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's quite amazing to see, you know, I've had people rock up and they start with a 30-second breath of, like they quite literally, I can only do it for 30 seconds. And they say, like, see, I told you. And I'm like, yes, you did tell me. And you told your own brain you could only do 30 seconds. So <laughs> the 30 second mark, guess what? You tapped out. Mm. It's just like any sport. You go to the gym and you tell yourself, oh, I couldn't lift 100 kilos bench press. You'll never do it. Because you won't pick up the pieces to get stronger to get to that point. Um, you're not telling your brain, yes, I could get there. Um, so, you know, they do 30 seconds. And then all I do is instill a little bit of belief. Obviously, teach them how to breathe properly as well. As humans, we breathe like shit. We do it all day, every day, but we are terrible at it. So, can you share with us very quickly? What can dads start to practice with their breathing straight away after listening to us today? Yeah, look, um, the the first thing I would say to start with is, um, look, you can can always reach out um, to me and I can give you techniques. For now, I would say um, the best type of breathing is what's called belly breathing, right? So if you find that you're stressed out or you're, in a, you're just getting really angry or you're not coping with things, take yourself away from the environment. Go and find a room, a bloody park, something, um, and try this exercise where put your hand on your belly now, in meditation world, they say you have to be sitting up, right? And I understand why, because laying down signals to your brain that, oh, it's sleep time. So you want to be able to get relaxed whilst not being in a sleeping position. Mm. I get that. Mm. But in the beginning, if you find laying down easier, that's fine. 
laying down or sitting up, hand on the belly, just really relaxing breath. Don't try and inflate it too much, but count on the way in. So even if this is like three minutes. So for example, belly breathing, three in, six out. Now three is too much, go to two. If three is too little, go to four. Through the nose, through the mouth. Through the nose. Um, I'm not too worried, but through the nose, and you can even do it through the nose, out the mouth, or you can just go in and out of the nose. It doesn't really matter. Um, nose breathing is the best. Belly breathing is the most relaxed you'll ever be. The reason why I say double the exhale is because you're only ever working when you're breathing, when you're breathing in, okay? Intercostal muscles, diaphragm muscle is working to inflate, just like a balloon. If you have to, if, when you blow up a balloon, you've got to put pressure into that. Blow it up. Um, and your lungs are very similar. If you then let go of the balloon, the pressure from the outside of the balloon pushes that air out. Yep, yep. Mm. So double the exhale, um, and you can do this anywhere. And what happens is, is when you teach your body and brain, because there's a body and brain connection, that this is how you relax, over time when you do it, what happens is, is if you get into a situation that's not ideal, like let's say you just go and sit in your car, Go and sit in your car, wind the windows down, close your eyes, do this for three minutes. Um, uh, your brain goes, oh, we know this, right? Because we've done it so much. Mm -hmm. So you can get from what's called your sympathetic nervous system, your stress system, to your parasympathetic nervous system. They say somewhere between three to five minutes of just breathing. Yep. Now, most men, I can tell you this for a fact, <laughs> they only get to their parasympathetic nervous system. And there's actually a sound for it. And the sound is this. That's the, the bottle cap coming off a beer. <laughs> right? So they'll, they'll be in their stress system all day, every day. And it's not until they put their feet up on the couch and they get a Forex gold because we're in Queensland. <laughs> and they go... <laughs> And they just have this moment where they go like, mm -hmm. oh. now think about what I just did then. Yeah. Your brain yeah. went, oh, now we're relaxed. And then it does a relaxing breath. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you did that relaxing breath mm -hmm. during the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing. Like our body knows when it needs a rest, right? Um, quite often you'll be sitting at your desk. You'll be out and about. You'll be running errands. And you'll just have this moment where you go, oh. That's your brain knowing it, it's stressed and it does that because it's a longer exhale. But what we do, because we've been taught by our parents, mm, we've been taught mm, by our school mm. that we've got to be productive. Instead of stopping for three minutes, we do this. <sighs> All right, what now? Okay, we had 74 things on the list to do. <laughs> I've done how many? 14. Let's just stress our system out a little bit more. And the thing is, is that stress, here's the upside to stress. It makes you older, it makes you fatter, and it will eventually kill you. So if you don't have strategies to deal with stress, good luck living this life. That's all I can say. Adam Sellers, mate, <laughs> once again, I will make sure that we have all of your details in the show notes so everyone can get in touch with you. I really would love to see 
so many of our super dads uh, take on the pressure project. I know that you have really wet my whistle for <laughs> exploring just how long I can hold my breath and coming out with you and doing some training. I think yeah. it's a fantastic goldest episode. Get on board, mate. Get on board. Now, now I've got ultra marathon runners that are encouraging me and now free diving. I think I'm going to be a very busy man with these uh, new sports. <laughs> mate, you'll be uh, you're built for it, mate. So get on board. Thank you very much for joining us on the Superman Show, Adam no Sellers. Pleasure. Whether you're a dad or not, if you've been listening to the Superdad Show and you love what you've been hearing, please support us. Go to www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, slash superdadsonline, S-U-P-E-R-D-A-D-S-O-N-L-I-N-E. And there are so many opportunities for you to give and get support for yourself.